Ready? Ready? Go! <laughs> the iSpot is the podcast about polar science and the people. We talk to scientists who went on board Polarstern, the German research icebreaker, for the biggest research expedition in the Arctic. Good afternoon from a rainy and cool day in July uh, here in Bremen in northern Germany. The weather outside actually can't be better to record another podcast episode or in your case uh, listening to the iSpot which is the official podcast for the year of polar prediction um, to support support the mosaic one-year ice drift in our uh, so to say virtual studio via a podcast tool i'm connected with uh, sarah pasqualetto hi everyone hi sarah What's up on the other side of town? I think it's as gray and as rainy as it's on your side of the town and probably as cold. <laughs> yeah. I still cannot make myself believing that this is July, but well. Summer in northern Germany, I would say. We had some good... Exactly. We had some good days, but now it's... Uh, yeah, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I hope the sun is coming back at some time. I still have some potatoes to grow on my balcony, so... Yeah, my zucchini are not really happy about this weather, I have to say. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, we are really happy actually to have one guest again here in this ice pod who joined us already in November before she went to the Arctic. Stephanie Arndt, hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> Good to have you here again. <laughs> yeah, nice to be here again. Thank you. It's uh, quite different from what we had for the bonus episode of the iSpot, where we met in the studio of Radio Weser TV, this uh, local community radio station. If you haven't listened to this bonus episode with Steffi, uh, we would recommend you going back to this um, podcast episode. You will learn a lot about Steffi Arndt and how she prepared for this uh, mosaic leg three. Steffi is a sea ice scientist at the Alfred Wegener Institute. She um, studied metrology in Berlin and in Hamburg. And she did her PhD thesis at the Alfred Wegener Institute. Actually, she is more an Antarctic person, but now moves also to the Arctic. Yeah. And yeah, she currently has a postdoctoral position at the Alfred Wegener Institute in the sea ice physics department. That's right. So Steffi, I had two questions following up from our last episode. One question came up after after the episode directly, but the other one uh, while you were on board because you also sent emails. So I could follow up a little bit how you felt um, in the Arctic. So the one question was, you said you're always drinking tea on board and you always have your tea bottle. So was that tea, is that tea warm or cold? Warm, of course. So this is like normal, like, yeah, there's, of course, also hot boiling water on, on board. And so I always cook my, my green tea in the morning and my red tea in the afternoon. I see. And then this bottle keeps it warm because I saw that bottle. Yeah, yeah. I saw that bottle once. So that is like a really nice <laughs> glass <laughs> bottle that keeps the tea warm. Yes, yes. So it's a, it's a double layer bottle. Uh, so there's like air in between. So this is that it keeps it warm and that it's not too hot when you touch this glass bottle. But the point is actually that I don't like the taste of like normal thermal bottles where you have like this metal inside. Yeah. 
Uh, but I need a big bottle because otherwise I do not drink enough. And then this uh, glass bottle was a pretty good compromise, actually. And you can also close it because just like uh, having a cup, a big one, this is what I have here back home. But yeah, on the ship or also in the, in, the, uh, in the office, this would be not be enough somehow. So I would somehow lose track. And especially on the boat, it's nice when you can just close it and bring it around and you're not, you're not afraid that you kind of spoil it all over. So would the tea still be warm when you bring that uh, bottle on the ice ah no 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 no. so so this bottle is just for for on board ah, uh, okay tea, <laughs> tea drinking but for <laughs> of course for the ice so when i was for like a really or when i when i'm in general for a really long time on the ice this is when i bring my thermo bottle actually i see okay i think i have to get one of those because i only have this <laughs> Cup today, actually a nice cup. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> My cup of happy. Yeah. Okay. I see. So you have warm tea. Okay. Yes. And then the other question was, how did you deal with the shortage of muesli on board Dranitsin in the end? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Maybe as an explanation. So when we've been on Dranitsin, uh, we've been told from the colleagues before that especially breakfast was kind of, hmm? Let's call it like that. Yeah. So that was basically said, uh, like toast bread and that's it. And uh, I said, well, okay, so so there's at least then something I can do about it. So I will just bring my own muesli. Yeah. So, and then I calculated for like, okay, I need per, per portion several grams of muesli. And then I calculated it for like three weeks and then rounded it up a little. So I was like, I thought I'm on the safe side. But then, yeah, everything took much longer and I, in yeah. the end, run out. But I mean, I was really, really lucky because it was really just the last couple of days. And yes, I mean, I didn't have muesli. I just had to eat that bread. Okay. <laughs> But it was, for, it was just for a couple of days. And therefore, I was really, really happy about it to have, that I had my muesli before and did not need to eat this bread for like a month or longer. Uh, just going back for, for the audience a bit. So leg three, you uh, left um, Germany around... On the 23rd of January. Then you went on board. So you, you went to Tromsø, to Norway. Then you went on board the Kapitan Dranitsin we just talked about. That's a Russian icebreaker. Uh, yes, so before we had those additional trainings in Tromsø, so they were actually, yeah. we had to arrive already on the 23rd, right. because from the 24th to the 26th, we had the these two additional trainings we had to have for Mosaic, all these safety trainings and so on uh, in Tromsø. And then we boarded Ranitin on the 27th, um, and we were actually supposed to leave also Tromsø on the 27th, but this is when already the story started on the, the delay. The are starting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because uh, the Kapitan Ranitin actually arrived uh, delayed, uh, with a delay in, in Tromsø. And this is why we in the end also left port uh, with a delay of one day. But that in the end didn't matter at all because we then actually just moved to the next fjord. <laughs> I see. Um, Because this is, as we just learned, I mean, waiting in a fjord is part of the mosaic experience. <laughs> you kind of have to do that, otherwise you've not been to mosaic at all. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> this is at least uh, the feeling and what we get now from all the legs. No, so, the, so we stayed then in this fjord until the 3rd of February and left that fjord then finally in the evening hours of the 3rd of February. The reason was uh, the bad weather. So, the, I mean, it's just like one and a half days uh, from Tromsø, or it was one and a half days from Tromsø to the ice edge. 
But in between, mm-hmm. uh, when you have like really bad weather and um, related to that really high waves, uh, this is what they want to avoid because the ship, it is stable, but because we had all the stuff outside, this was still stable, but this was of course not really meant to be. So there were a lot of uh, additional containers. And mm-hmm. as it was winter time, and when you have then all the sea coming into the boat or like on, on top of the boat, uh, this would have caused an um, immediate yeah, freezing over of the ship. And then it mm-hmm. get, of course, into, into trouble. And this is what they want to avoid, to get too much, too much water on the ship. And maybe you can, because I know you have uh, counted all these, you have these numbers available. Maybe you can just uh, bring them up here. So in total, you stayed how long on board? Well, on board on so yeah. So in total, um, like being away from Bremerhaven, um, it was 145 days mm-hmm. actually. On in total, being on Dranitzin, were in the end 35 days because even though even when we arrived at, at on the mosaic flow, we still stayed for another couple of days on Dranitzin uh, during the handover, and then just swapped the ships at some point. So and then then the others. Uh, had to stay mm-hmm. already on Ranitien while we moved already to Polarstern. Right. I remember there was this nice picture um, on, on the social media when people walked over the ice flow, like one after each other. Yeah. <laughs> did you did, did the other crew, the other team from Polarstern did the same and you just met on the ice flow in the middle or how, how did no. that happen? <laughs> well, no. So actually, the story was so we we are finally arrived on the twenty eighth of February, um, mm-hmm. like in the um, yeah in the afternoon, um, and then there was yeah it was a big big discussion how this entire handover procedure should then start, and because we've been then now like yeah more or less sixty scientists and logistics people on each side, and it was not enough space to have all on one ship. And this yeah. is why they decided, okay, mm-hmm. so in the evening to get the handover already started, we kind of split the group. So part of the uh, Polarstein crew came over to Dranitzin mm-hmm. and part of us sitting on Dranitzin go over to Polarstein. And then there was the next big discussion because otherwise it would have been too easy. And they actually arranged shuttles with um With the skidos and sledges behind, mm-hmm. um, so to to bring people from one ship to the other. But of course, especially us uh, on Dranitzin. I mean, we were sitting for like yeah four five weeks on that ship, and we of course wanted to walk by our own. So this is why all of us ah, basically walked. I see. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and the others uh, then went by went by skido. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that was a cute. It picture. makes sense, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. It was really funny. Now, after being not in Bremerhaven and being in the Arctic for I don't know how many days, 145 days, you said you were not in Bremerhaven, which is a long time, and it got extended. It was supposed to be um, earlier your um, return to home. So. I mean, who is Steffi Arndt after after this leg three? Is it is it the same Steffi, or did something change with you, or what what do you think? Mm, I think in general I'm still the same. I think I did not really change my general behavior. Um, I think what I got somehow maybe a little bit different, but this will be well. I think this will be now a progress uh, to observe that over time again. 
is so beforehand i really like to to make like plans to know okay this is what i'm planning for this week mm -hmm. for this month for this year for the next three years and now on mosaic already starting with our long journey to the to the uh, flow and then with all the dynamics we had there was already like having a plan for the next two hours was something already uh, sometimes already something for nothing because in the end everything changed because of dynamics because of corona because of whatever so uh yeah i mean i think i was already before pretty flexible and everything yeah. but i think it's now really like okay having a plan is nice but being flexible is much more valid um and i think this this might be one take-home message and something like where i think yeah this is of course also something uh, that is becomes now also kind of true for for the real life back here because also here because of corona so many things change and you can still not plan for everything because you have to see how the uh, how the pandemic is going to evolve and all that and therefore I think this is something that might have changed somehow so yeah but I think in general I'm still I'm still the same uh, the, the same Steffi as before and we are happy that you are. So you brought some songs with with you. So um, you brought "I'm Gonna Be 500 Miles" <laughs> by the yes. Proclaimers. Yes. Um, yeah. The story behind that song is that um, so Andranitsin, we of course had a lot of meetings and we planned for a lot of stuff. And uh, what we planned, for example, for was what do we do when there's a lead opening? Um, so like an opening in the in the ice, and. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, when we want to sample it, which group it uh, wants to do what? So, and then in this ideal world that we were planning for was like, yeah, of course, the lead is not in the middle of the central observatory where we were working, but like a little bit away. Mm -hmm. And then the the question was for some instruments, how how long would be the distance you would walk with that instrument? And then a colleague of mine said, well, I would walk two miles with my instrument. And then another colleague and mine were just like, okay. But I would walk. So this yeah. was immediately the song that came to our mind. And of course, this all got in the end like for nothing because we had all the leads inside, inside the Central Observatory. But still, the song came up again and again and again when we walked the transect. So like measuring sea ice thickness and snow depths mm -hmm. along, the, along the flow. Uh, and yes, and this was whenever we had this song in our, <laughs> in our, uh, in our minds. And when you asked me now for those songs and I told that uh, colleague then, well, yeah, I gave them uh, that song and they actually asked me for six to 10 songs. And I think I should just use like six to 10 times that yes, song one. because that's for us. <laughs> <laughs> the word the theme the song. <laughs> okay, nice. Yeah, nice story behind yeah. that. So then uh, just listen to that. Okay, so we are back in our living rooms uh, and not in the studios, as always. Uh, and we are in our interview with Steffi and just basically back from, from the ice flow. We wanted to know uh, now a little bit more about what you actually did um, while you were on board Polashten. And we know you were the team leader of your DRC ice group. Mm -hmm. Um, so what did this role entail exactly? So what did you do that maybe your fellow, um, colleagues were not doing because they were not the leaders? 
Uh, well, so the part of the team lead, so, so team leaders in general, so we've been like basically five science teams on board, being the sea ice physics group, the uh, oceanography, the atmospheric team, the eco team, and the um, biogeochemical fluxes team, the BGC team. And in addition, there was then the uh, logistics team, and of course, then like the German weather forecaster um, and the heli service and all that. Um, but those five teams plus the logistics teams, they had all one like team lead. And uh, mm -hmm. what was basically um, the task was kind of to coordinate um, the work. On the one hand, to coordinate the work inside the several teams. So to make sure that all objectives that were um, originally planned for Mosaic, that they are all covered and that all work is somehow done. Um, and then it was also to coordinate with the different teams on a kind of higher up level in terms of like, um, yeah, when there was some logistical um, things that needed to be discussed or whatever. And this is when the when the cruise leader Thorsten Kanzo for Leg 3 um, just actually called then the, the team leads together. And we then had a meeting and just discussed stuff. And then every team lead in the end brought the information back to the team. So to have some, some mm -hmm. um, dis discussions, not in the big rounds. And then now okay. for like three, I mean, we had so many challenges and so many things to, to discuss and to decide. So it became the role of the team lead, I think, became at least for me speaking, um, much more revel uh, relevant than um, anticipated beforehand. Because uh, originally the, the leg was planned until beginning of April. And in the end, we've mm -hmm. been now on the flow until mid of May. Mm -hmm. And that meant that also in terms of science, of course, um, the the work um, on the flow and on the ship changed because we went into yeah. a new season and all that. And that, of course, meant then also, again, a lot of co coordination, not only with the people on board, but also with the people back home. So what I basically also did, like from the beginning on, actually, was a lot of um, reporting for the, for the big PI team back home uh, to make sure that we do the things right to also get some more information when I needed them and all that. So this was, it's, it's basically a lot of coordination and reporting in all directions towards home, towards uh, the, the course leader and then back to the team and right. all that. So it's like coordination with everything and everybody. And so you originally had specific duties that were, uh, let's say, specific for your leg, mm -hmm. was it? Uh, yeah, well, of course. I mean, the big thing of leg three was uh, initially the return of the sun. And with that, of course, mm -hmm. also that was related to, to uh, scientific questions, of course. Um, and then, yeah. as I said, so as we moved then into, into more spring conditions that needed all, uh, that, that caused also, of course, in the end, um, the need for additional work as, for example, the entire um, sea ice energy balance measurements, meaning all the optics measurements, for example, how much of the okay. incoming light is reflected. So the, all the albedo measurements and all that. So this is something that came on top, uh, which was not originally planned for like three because there the sun was, of course, not meant to be that high up already. Um, so that mm -hmm. was that we would have measured it. Um, yeah. Right. And those are things that just simply increased over the, over the mm -hmm. time of the leg then. What was the hardest change you had to adjust to maybe in your leadership role or like in general in the duties also of the of the team, which was the, I don't know, hardest thing to to improvise maybe? Mm, 
Well, I think there were many of those. Um, so on the one hand, as I said, so we had already those really challenging times on Dranitsin, where it was in between not clear um, whether we would reach Polarstern with Dranitsin or mm -hmm. whether the exchange potentially need to happen already like on the way by helicopter or by um, small planes. There were, of, mm -hmm. course, of course, a lot of discussions already then on the topic, who is going when? Uh, so because it's in the end all about priorities somehow. Um, so yeah. this was a really a rather big challenge that I was kind of not expecting because it was such, such a challenge was much earlier than I expected it before. Um, and then of course, the entire Corona situation because with that everything changed on board. But I think for me personally, and also for this role as a team leader, it was not only the Corona, but it was that at the same point in time when the uh, Corona pandemic here caused, uh, caused the lockdown in, in Germany and in Europe. That was actually the, the same time when for us uh, on the mosaic flow, the ice flow broke apart and all the sleet okay. and shearing and dynamics started. So you were busy with a totally different <laughs> topic. Yeah, well, we were busy, but on the same side, it was okay. Uh, so the, the the ice is really starting to moving a lot. It has had a lot of dynamics. All these leads opened, and the entire scientific program could not continue as scheduled and planned and as it was hand over to us. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, so that we had there this uncertainty also: how can we continue all the measurements on the floor? Because also then the power connections to part of the city disconnected and all that. And at, and on this at the same time, we had this uncertainty and okay how can we get home at some point again because it was of course i mean that this dynamics and all that happened that was mid of march and this was also then so this the flow broke up and also the runway that was already prepared that was meant also for us to get the antonov landing um on the yeah. flow to get us back and also that one broke off broke off and at the same time it was corona and then it was okay we have no clue how this how this flow is going to continue. We have no clue how we can go back home. And those were then those like, as these both um, conditions really happened at more or less the same time, that was, I think, the most challenging for everybody because I think already the single circumstances would have been tough. Yeah. And then you pile them up and then, <laughs> and then you have an explosive situation. <laughs> exactly. And, and this oh, wow. was really, I think, for all of us team leads, the most challenging to kind of react for, to that, to, to keep the mood up in the team to say, hey, everything will be great if we just continue. And hey, we will see at some point we will get home. And I mean, this is in the end part of the story. And this is actually, of course, also yeah. why I call or most of us call in the end really, okay, mosaic. This is what we call an expedition because an expedition is at that point really like okay you go somewhere and then you will see what is going to happen uh yeah and nothing the ultimate surprise element exactly and nothing happened as planned and therefore yeah yeah, yeah. and this was really i think this was those were the most challenging times actually I think we we uh, we coped as a team really well with the situation in general because I mean, we were really able to to adjust um, most of the measurement programs to the situation. We could really, in the end, continue all measurements, uh, just like some at, on, on different uh, measurement sites. But in general, it was really, really successful. Um, and I mean, the, the point was also we started in March uh, when we took over in several perspectives really tough. Because when we arrived, it was also um, not only that the sun came back, 
but it was at the same time the coolest period of mosaic. So we had there temperatures um, below minus 40 mm -hmm. degree. And that meant that also at some point or like after the the team of like two left, it was cold and windy. So the wind chill temperature were really, really low, far below minus 60. And that uh, the consequence of that was that we were not allowed to work on the ice. So therefore we mm. had there the shutdown. Okay. So you had like okay. in the beginning of March due to the handover, you of course also lost parts of the time series just to, to, to hand everything nicely over to the next team. Mm -hmm. Then it was that cold period that we couldn't work. And then the storm came uh, and, and, and then this first dynamics happened. Um, and this is when the entire story started. So the, 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 the month of March was like really, really challenging. And there we lost quite some data or produced some, some gaps. Yeah. But in the end, when we look back finally mm -hmm. um, on, the, on the month of March and did the evaluation of the month, uh, I could still say, well, I think we performed like in March something like seventy percent um, of that of what was uh, planned, and when we communicated that back home, okay. uh, people there were actually like, yeah, well, in our opinion, it was much more than those seventy percent that you see, because of course, I think us we saw it much more critical than the than the people back home. Um, but yeah, so I think in in the end, so for for the team I so I was really proud of the team, and it was really really nice to see how everybody really yeah did a nice job and did everything yeah like the best out of the situation and that we always try to go out and to to kind of work on those dynamic conditions um even though it was really challenging you were saying also before that it was important to keep the mood up given that everything that was happening and that it was also somehow hard to adjust how did you manage to organize your dance classes for this purpose? <laughs> I was really curious to not to have the feedback and to have the end result of yeah. the dance classes. <laughs> yeah, okay. Maybe I have to explain that. Uh, so before I left, I told everybody uh, that my personal challenge is to bring my fitness camp dance on the ice. Yes. And what should I say? Well, um, I didn't manage, but no, <laughs> but there's a big but. So I didn't manage to really um, to make the entire team dancing because it was really <laughs> in between. It was really, really uh, we worked a lot, so there was not that much mm -hmm. time. And I also I basically didn't hit the head for it. Um, but but we did actually with my uh, with a colleague of mine uh, who I did all the snow work with. So when you sit in the snow pit and do all this uh, sampling and uh, for the physical and the chemical uh, analysis, uh, it gets really, really cold at some point, uh, especially when you have like your minus, uh, minus 30, minus 40 degrees Celsius. Yeah. And uh, so there at some point we started like in between doing that dance. So I started to teach her and then at, at some point she was Steffi, we have to do that dance again. So like, okay, <laughs> let's do it. But in the end, so on our way back, then uh, when we left the flow and somehow all chilled down a bit, and then we started on board because we missed the moving and, and all the, the physical work on the flow. We mm -hmm. started a boot camp on the heli deck. So having like an, an hour um, yeah, cross workout somehow um, on the heli deck. And there at some point we started as the warm up. Uh, with that then and everybody was super into it so I, I managed I think the maximum were like 20 people dancing with me uh, that danced on the helicopter deck so this is my <laughs> it's it was not as planned but at least something. kind of 
Did you bring that music today? Yes, I also, I also yeah, I, I brought it. I, yes. Okay, so maybe we can have this as next one then, because we're talking about it. Atsukita. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's the one. Uh, yeah, so as I said, so this was, was the fitness camp, the warm-up dance in Spain. Uh, and I danced it last year, so in 2019, in the beginning, uh, when I was in Antarctica, I danced it with Christian Haas, actually, and uh, <laughs> Ilka Kriegen and Erika Alhusen from the, from the sea, from biology here at Ari. I danced it on Antarctic sea ice, and before, I also danced it already uh, at Neumeyer Station with the Overwind, or with parts of the Overwintering team there. So, it, yeah, it, this dance already moved around the world. And there's a really, really nice video of uh, Christian and the, the biologists and, and my from Antarctica but so that's really I was going to ask because for people for people who don't know so Christian Haas he's a professor at Alfred Wegener Institute it's actually your boss (laughs) (laughs) it's the head of uh, Steffi's section um, who's a really nice guy actually so yeah and she was the leader of like two he was the cruise leader right exactly okay so then uh, now I'm pretty excited to hear that song so it's yes. Atsukita by uh, Steve Aoki, Dandy Yankee, Playing Skills and Elvis Crespo. Okay, Steffi, so you to- I was going to ask you actually how did you cope with the cold? Because in the last episode, you told us that um, you have an issue with, with cold temperatures. So then you told us already you would do the dance. <laughs> Did you find some, I mean, some extra thing that would help other than the dancing? Yeah, well, I mean, I have these issues with the fingertips since I got them. I got once frostbites two or three years okay. ago. Uh, and since then, I'm, I'm really like uh, sensitive, like in the, fi- in the fingertips. So also here in Germany, when it's like 10 degrees already and going by bike, I have oh. to wear gloves. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's mm-hmm. just getting really cold. So this is like really something that I got from that. Um, but I think in general, I, it, it works now pretty mm-hmm. well, actually. I mean, still the, the snow sampling, this was quite a, quite a challenge again, because for the snow sampling, what you're doing for the chemical snow sampling is that you have to wear like plastic gloves um which means that you can have just like really uh, just a, a really thin layer of, of additional warming gloves yeah. below uh, be, uh, beneath yeah. that uh, plastic glove and uh, so this was okay like when you have those as i said so like a wind chill of minus 60 it's like okay how can i cope with it um but i found actually a, a really good way so um i had then in the end two pairs of thin gloves and then this plastic glove above and then in addition, I had my, I had warming uh, pads for the fingers and for mm-hmm. the toes. That was really in the, in the beginning, I was kind of afraid actually of the cold. Yeah. And I was really surprised by myself that I was so afraid because I mean, I knew that before from, from Antarctica, from the Antarctic winter experiment, but it was really, I think it was kind of a mental mm-hmm. thing. And after the first day when I saw, okay, I can survive the cold, it's not that bad. And I was, when I was outside, there was still room for more clothes to wear. So when I would have get really, really cold, I could have worn much more. Um, but that was totally fine. I was by far not wearing everything that I could have worn. So. so we want to talk a little bit more about the conditions of the sea ice in this uh, part of the interview so you mentioned it already so you had when you uh, arrived there you had very cold conditions 
Um, so I would assume the sea ice flow would build up by that time. And then you had a storm. And then you also had very warm conditions due to this warm air intrusion just after Easter. So how did you, I mean, maybe you can say something, how the sea ice flow uh, developed during that time and uh, what actually surprised you most in terms of, of the sea ice, in terms of your scientific work during that lag? Yeah, so um, when we arrived, it was basically you had this big flow and Polarstian was sitting not in the middle, but Polarstian was part of the flow because this mm -hmm. was the idea in the beginning that Polarstian really went into the flow and then was really frozen around uh, yeah, with, with, with the ice. Um, and this is this is why actually also Dranitsin, um, Kapitan Dranitsin, um, the supply vessel did not went close to Polarstein, but we had to walk this distance because they didn't want to destroy the flow mm -hmm. to really get close to Polarstein. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, so this was all really nice and shiny. And yes, it was super cold. And then, and this was actually not related to a storm. So it was in general, it was really windy and it was cold. This is why we couldn't work out uh, outside at the beginning. But when then those dynamics started in the uh, in mid of March, I think on the 11th of March was when the first cracks appeared. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the first cracks mm -hmm. were of course not the big issue, but then those cracks widened really, really soon. Okay. <laughs> and you, you, you could then really observe those big lead systems around the flow, but also through the flow. And um, yeah, this is actually how it started, this entire dynamic. And when then also uh, the power lines, some of the power lines needed to be cut between the ship and installations on the on the flow. And then uh, this was then from then onwards, it was kind of a of an ongoing process that there were leads opening, leads closing again. When leads closed, you could then really see and hear how the ridge, uh, how the yeah, the ice ridges, like the small mountains on the ship uh, on the on the ice were forming. Mm -hmm. Um, and this was kind of then the characteristic feature, more or less, um, over the, the course of, of March, at least, this opening and closing all over again and again and again. You had to be really careful when you would go on the ice because you never know the next day how it would be, yeah? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it was really in the end, uh, like also the polar bear guards we had with mm -hmm. us, uh, though they, they were actually also used not only as polar bear guards, but sometimes also at as uh, at lead or reach, or rich watch. Ah, okay. I uh, mean, like really like mm -hmm. observing okay. when, you, when you cross the small crack, which was just kind of, let's say, like, I don't know, 20, 30 centimeters that you can easily walk mm -hmm. over. And then you then... Um, and then they kind of observe it, whether it's widening or whether it's closing. And when it's widening in, at some point, it was then simply decided, okay, you have to go back. Otherwise, it's too, too um, uncertain or dangerous that you could potentially not walk back. I mean, of course, we had always the helicopters that could have uh, yeah. people. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, this is, of course, not what you want. And then in April, this game continued, actually. But at least parts of the flow, or big part of the flow um, stayed stable more or less, so we could really, we had, in terms of the sea ice work, a really, really successful um, April. Mm -hmm. And there, but still, I mean, also there, we had still these dynamics, and this was really like, the throw broke up more and more. It was really starting with those dynamics in March, really soon, Polarstian was not really connected to the ice anymore. Mm -hmm. And that caused then that, that the ship started moving. So we had before all these ice anchors with the anchor lines, and these anchor lines yeah. snapped, so those got really, really dangerous. Mm -hmm. Actually, uh, all the all the areas around the the anchor mm -hmm. lines. 
Yes, and this is then also why then in March at some point, Polash and they, they actually uh, started the engines once in between to, to reposition the ship because then also the ship simply moved from the flow away so that we could not easily go on, on the flow anymore. So it was really, there was a lot of, a lot mm -hmm. of dynamics. And then the entire part in, in front of the ship where we walked when we came from the Ranitsin, for example, this entire part completely oh, broke off. Okay. As I said, also the runway that was next to the ship broke broke apart and it was really like everything was just like it did not look like one real nice flow anymore but it was really just a scattered flow yeah, surrounding yeah. but then on the 12th and 13th of may there was a major storm coming in um with before 10 and that meant that the entire flow that was still there with the installations totally broke apart so there was then in the end it was not the mosaic flow, but it was a mosaic of yeah. flows. <laughs> and uh, what would you say, I mean, with, with this experience now, <laughs> the Arctic <laughs> sea ice and all its <laughs> shapes and forms and possibilities, um, what do you, would you say from your Antarctic experience? What was the most, I mean, surprising or most different um, situation? in in the arctic uh having polar bear oh ah, okay okay yeah <laughs> this is <laughs> right right this is, of course i mean and this is i must admit i mean of course it's super important to have them it was nice to have this additional logistics team on board but i must admit it's really really annoying if you have to plan for that always and if you cannot just simply just quickly go out and do this and that no you always have to have to have the polar bear guard and it's not only having the polar bear guard on the flow but you also have always to have somebody mm -hmm. uh, on the bridge uh, having there mm -hmm. the duty and then there was in the stern of the ship so in the back of the ship there was a little hut where also an additional person was was sitting so even when you just wanted to have like one person in an afternoon slot for for an hour outside you would need really to have those in in in, in total three persons uh taking care of of the polar bear guarding i think we have to talk a bit more on what you actually did uh on on uh on polarstern or on the ice but uh, before that we can move to the next song i would say so um yeah ice ice baby vanilla ice <laughs> I remember that song quite well when I was, I mean, a teenager, I would say. So, yes, I mean, I think I do not need to explain um, the reason behind that song. I think it's pretty obvious. I mean, whenever we've, we've been in the ice team with several people outside and we've just been like in a, in a good mood um, situation and people started to dance or whatever, uh, this is like always independent of the expedition. It's always Ice Ice Baby coming up. Okay, we are back on the Ice Pod, the podcast about polar science and the people. We didn't say that yet today. Yeah. So always good to go with yes. our catchphrase and yeah, just remind people what they're, what they're listening to. Um, and we are here again with Steffi Hand. And we are talking about her time on Mosaic and on Polarstern as the sea ice uh, team leader and uh, talking about all the challenges, but also the exciting scientific stuff that happened over her very long time on the ice. Uh, on this section, we go 
a little bit deeper on on your on your time and and maybe just talking about what exactly what did your typical day look like maybe for for somebody that never been on on an expedition and how that's does that look different from what you normally do on the land yeah so a typical day yeah um Ah, how should I start? So actually to describe a typical day, I think you must start already the lunchtime the day before. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this gets <laughs> intense. Yeah, it, I'm it ready. Gets, it gets intense, <laughs> but I try to, to keep it as structured as possible. Um, yes. So every day at 12.20, um, we had a small ice team meeting. Um, where we discuss what we want to do on the next day on the ice and on the ship. And this was important for planning to see where is a polar bear guard needed, who needs a ski do, what is planned to do where. And therefore, mm -hmm. um, to have that kind of structure, we had already a pre-structure of a week plan, meaning everybody okay. knew already before for Monday till Sunday uh, what he or she is roughly doing over the course of the week in the different time slots because we were then planning on board for basically three time slots we had one time slot before lunch then we had we can yeah so to say there's one then one time slot between lunch and coffee and then between coffee and dinner is the third one even though i mean the coffee break nobody did basically but so just like to have the, the structure then those clients that we have to fill in a big plan a big schedule Uh, that was then discussed in the evening, where we had at six thirty or seven thirty, depending on the day, uh, the general meeting. And in this general meeting, everybody from board was sitting, so all the scientists, all the logistic people. And there, in, in this meeting, we then actually just set everything in stone. Or well, what means in stone? Like how <laughs> set it in stone to the as it was that... possible. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, exactly. And again, just it was basically then to see, okay, where are the polar bear guards needed? Um, is everything working fine? And so on. So, and then I woke okay. up. <laughs> so I knew what I was supposed to do. And my, ba my day basically started that I uh, just went on the bridge because having all these dynamics around the ship, it was every morning, again, a surprise how uh, the vicinity of the ship looks like. <laughs> um, and, and how the flow changed again. So this is why I started my day like this. So this I did like at 7.30 roundabout. Um, and then they had there a nice chat in, in most cases also with the captain and with the cruise leader. So that was really cozy. Um, and then I went for breakfast. So breakfast time on Polarstein is from, from 7.30 to 8.30. And then um, we had at 8.30 another really, really quick meeting just to check that we can go on the ice or that we cannot go on the mm -hmm. ice or what needs to be adjusted or when they're like new ideas popped up overnight that people want to adapt their, their individual plans. Yes, and then uh, basically the, the gangway also went, I always went down then at nine. So at nine was basically the, the, the start of the work on the ice. Then there was the, the polar bear watch on the bridge. Then there was the polar bear watch in the stern hut. And then people could start work on the ice from nine till 11.30. And then from 11.30 mm -hmm. till 12.30, there was then the lunch break. And then, as I said, so then there was this 12.20 meeting that I had with my team. And then due yeah. to all these uncertainties in the beginning and those really cold temperatures where we could uh, initially 
could not go out on the ice um, pretty often in the beginning in the in this early time slot. We just had then in most cases another quick meeting again at 12:30 with the entire team just to check again that still everything can be uh, can everything can happen can as, as as planned. Yeah, and then there was again this. Um, and then there was the next time slot uh, working on the ice starting at one from one to three uh, thirty, and then from three thirty till five five thirty, depending. Um, was then the third time slot to work on the ice, and then there was from five thirty to six thirty. It's it's dinner. And then at 6.30, um, this was then depending on the day, but either at 6.30 or at 7.30, we had then in the evening those general meetings where we also talked about um, like general logistics, just like to give information or the, where the crew leader basically gives information to the team that is needed, but also where groups and people reported on um, yeah, accomplishments of the day, challenges of the day, um, where we had a look on the pictures of the day, in bad times, it took like an hour. In good times, <laughs> it took like half an hour. Once you are on the ice, you cannot <laughs> go pee. <laughs> how how do you do that? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> oh yes, is that an issue yeah. or just uh, yeah? I guess so. For me, yeah, it was well, not. <laughs> Not for me, so I can really like without for ten, twelve hours. I I don't need a toilet if I oh if God. I do know okay. that before. Um, but yes, yeah, so the the mosaic flow. <laughs> this is also kind of a funny story. So the mosaic flow has a non has a no pee policy, meaning <laughs> so people okay. are really asked to not pee on the on the flow. Um, because mm -hmm. this has, of course, kind of an influence. Which I would, I'm, I'm now surprised that there is a policy like that because I would have never, never thought that somebody would do that actually. But good to know. Yeah. So, and this is why everybody was asked beforehand to bring a pee bottle. And just give me a second. I'll show you my pee bottle. Oh. <laughs> yeah, oh, this is. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Sarah, we get more insights than I ever no. hoped to get. This. Yeah, this interview has taken a, a, a turn that I was really not expecting. Super disappointed because some people told me before, Steffi, when you come on board, um, one of our technicians um, bought all those pee bottles and I will have a personalized pee bottle on board, meaning a, a bottle wears my name on. And I expected that it would be a super yeah. fancy pee bottle. No, it's not. Yes. No, let's see it. Let's make a photo out of that. This, this is Steffi's pee bottle. Oh, wow. It's a but it's, but it, it's labeled. Oh, wow. Well, I would see how the guys would use it. I wouldn't well, see it's, how well, we I mean, it's pretty big. So really. it's, it's, I think it would work, but it's, I did yeah, not use it okay. at all. What I use my pee bottle for is for like having, uh, uh, using it as a warming bottle for a PC that I needed to brought out. And in the end, I actually used it as a drinking what? bottle. But really... Right. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have to clarify? I actually never used it for the purpose it was meant. I just, <laughs> exactly. you know, use it for water. Yeah, but what was really, really funny, so as I said, so I never used it. And the first day when we when we were on, or when we actually moved to Polarstein and we, when we had a long day outside, mm -hmm. an American PhD student 
came by the end of the day to me having a bottle in his hand. So I, I did not even really pay attention to this bottle. And he asked me really, really seriously, Steffi, is there a pea bottle station on the ship? So what, what meant was, so he had his filled up pea bottle and wanted to bring it somewhere. But I didn't get that point. I thought that he was just like, wanted to phrase in a nice way to ask for the, where the next toilet is. Yeah. So I explained to him where the next toilet is. And he then just afterwards ah. was super disappointed. was like, yeah, but this was just a toilet. I was looking for a proper pea bottle station <laughs> to, to bring the stuff and to clean it. And I was like, we don't have that. Ah, and he really okay. didn't get that we don't have something like that on Polarstern. So guys, is that on, on American ships? Obviously. Is that uh, something they Obviously. have? Obviously. Obviously. So really, guys, whenever you come to Polarstern, <laughs> we don't have a people <laughs> station. We have really nice toilets. We do a full bathroom. disclaimer now so that people <laughs> that plan to go there just know and prepare. Actually, also his pee bottle was a Nalgene bottle. So obviously it seems like that Nalgene bottles are kind of proof pee bottles on an international basis. What, what, Those Nalgene, interesting. what kind Those of bottles? bottles? Those Nalgene bottles. So it seems like that they are uh, oh, okay. yeah, approved as international pee bottles. I will never look at these <laughs> bottles when I see one on, on the street ever again in the same way. <laughs> I will always see a pee bottle now. <laughs> We kind of ruined it. <laughs> I mean, Sorry. no, it made it even more interesting, maybe. But so that actually, I think that brings us to the next song. It's "Ocean" by Ton Bangered, ah. and I mean, you can, you can, yeah, yeah, read it. It's, it's "Ocean," yeah, it's it's yeah, "Ocean" from Ton Bangered, "Ocean," mm -hmm. and actually, the song, uh, like the chorus, is about like it's like. Uh, it basically says like when you're on the on the ocean, um, it would be bad to have not a ship. And uh, this is of course like pretty true when yeah. you are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how unfortunate! I'm here and there is no sheep around me. Yes, exactly. And and this is actually what it's about. And I kind of really always. So when I'm on Polash there, and, or what now also when I was on Dranitsyn, and when you reach the point where you see no land around you anymore, but just the water. Uh, and the ocean. This is always the song that actually comes to my mind, and that I then just put on on my on my phone on and just listen to because this is really like what I connect really really strong uh, to that. So this is why I put it here. This something big happened when well several things big things happened when you were on board, but among others was also this uh the the coronavirus and the the covid the and the pandemic that then since then has affected well pretty much everybody on 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 the planet and and of course it also mosaic uh so maybe what what was your first when did you first hear about covid and and the and the situation i think you were still Maybe you were still on, on land? Yeah, so this is actually what, what we thought, like, in the end, when we came back, when we were on our, our journey back, this is actually what we thought, like, when did we heard the first time about it? And uh, actually, we could not really reconstruct that. But what we all did mm -hmm. remember, um, and what I also in person do remember, is that I think it was really when we've been still in Tromsø, uh, and when it was then in Asia starting this entire um, story, yeah. that it was already by that time clear that for the leg four, 
the participants from China that were supposed to come for like four that they could not come. And so they mm-hmm. saw there already some challenges and trouble that one or two participants uh, can potentially not make it um, to Tromsø mm-hmm. uh, or to, to Spitsbergen where they uh, were planned to go. Um, and this was actually, yeah. the, so this was kind of the start, I think. Um, yeah, and then it's really tough to to say when it became really a big, big topic or when it when it became that obvious also to us. I mean, we had, of course, all the time, uh, what we have on board is the WhatsApp, is WhatsApp. So we could have all the time the communication mm-hmm. with back home. And from that, of course, you got those information mm-hmm. on, wow, there's now the lockdown and there's this not possible and there's that not possible. But as I was mentioning before, in the same time, uh, the flow got crazy. <laughs> and that was really that, I mean, I mean, we are sitting there on the ship on kind of our own bubble. So it's like there's the outer world and there's yeah. our world. And in the really, so I must admit that really on the on all expeditions I've been on, in most cases, I do, I do stop following at some point also the news, um, like really like the, the mm-hmm. daily news from back home. Because it's really like whatever is going to happen back home, you can't change it and you can't, you are not part of it. And somehow it was also the same actually with Corona. But because, I mean, we've on the, on the ship, we've been in theory not affected by it because it was obvious we will not have Corona. We don't have it. Yeah. So we are in our bubble and that's fine. But of course, we've been in, in the end highly affected because it was due to this pandemic, not clear how we can go home. And this is then when it came, of mm-hmm. course, super close to us. Um, and then when we had then also a lot of discussions on how can we continue, how will be the the transition to like for what is going to happen. I mean, at a certain point, I think also we here were kind of on the edge of our home office seats just because we, we, we us following the, the expedition, we were really not... Uh, able also to come up with ideas or like to just kind of predict how that could uh, um, develop but it's different because we are here and somehow you know it's not a matter of like coming back to 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 land so how was the atmosphere there like this we we talked many times and for many reasons about the uncertainties and making plans and be able to adjust but this brings it to kind of a whole new level yeah so I must say so I think so for me personally speaking it was of course kind of a really weird situation but I think I coped really well with it because I knew that my family was fine um, and knowing that mm-hmm. made it of course much easier because then it was for me okay I mean I just continue my work I'm fine my family is fine so for me it doesn't matter whether I'm back in April May or June or when it gets July it's for me personally also fine yeah. But this was, of course, not true for the entire team because you had, of course, I yeah. mean, there have been a lot of young fathers and mothers having like small children back home. And um, where it was, of course, where it's different whether mm-hmm. you were like for two months uh, not at home or at the end for four and a half months not at home. Um, and this, of course, this was one issue that was, this was, of course, not nice. And then some people had, yeah, yeah, had quite some challenges um, in having those uncertainties. So this was really, this was a quite a quite a long um, period of really big uncertainties, and there are really different people cope in a different ways with it, and some better and some some less good, I would say. Um, 
but this entire situation and also the mood got in the moment when there was that plan and uh, that took place in the end then everything was was really nice again and then we also had that situation and there i was personally really grateful and i think the entire team was really grateful so for easter so we got from all over the world um a collective um yeah message so to say so everybody just was asked i think in the mosaic team to send a short a video message to us and this yeah. was all collected by thomas Krumpf, my colleague of mine uh here at avi and they compiled it all together and and put that all in a movie for like 20 minutes and that was so nice to see that like like everybody was like really nice and it was it was really a, a really emotional um moment on board i must admit Did you ever think that maybe you didn't want to go back after all and like go back to quarantine <laughs> land and just, you know, I'm happy here, just hang out. Yeah, <laughs> like actually it was like that. So at some point, at some point we really, uh, we uh, really realized it. And with some, um, yeah, yeah, friends on board, actually, what we started pretty early is that we just gave us hugs every morning. So I just before I went out of the ice, I just like run to oh. to run to the data office where, where one of the colleagues was sitting, just giving him a hug and just run out because it was like, okay, we just have to collect all that all those hugs because this is not possible when we are coming back. And I think when we re yeah. really really realized it was when we uh, came back when we he arrived in Bremerhaven, and uh, when we've been then still on the ship all together like arm in arm and hugging, and then we were just seeing on land where everybody was really standing in that one and a half meter distance. So this was kind of a weird picture, mm -hmm. but I think it was weird for both sides, actually. Yeah, to see for them also on land, seeing people touching. It's it's what happens also when you see on TV, like, I don't know, old recordings and you see those people are, are, are insane. Do you know how many germs are spreading right now? Actually, exactly that what I was uh, also having in mind when watching things, but also I just, when I came back, I read a book. And then when in this book, it was at some point mentioning that they were hugging and it was like, interesting, hmm, that's a concept <laughs> I'm not that used to anymore. So this is really, you get really sensitive to those, to those descriptions yeah. actually, yes. Yeah. So you adapt very uh, soon after you, mm, you yes. returned uh, back to Germany? Yes, I did, but or... I think, I mean, it was for us, of course, kind of easier because, I mean, of course, it's still COVID, it's still the pandemic, and there are still all these regulations, but it's much more relaxed, I think, than three three months ago. Yeah. And therefore, yeah. it's, of course, it's weird to have those uh, nose, uh, those uh, nose mouth protection thingies, um and that's that's weird but it's also like okay it's fine for me it, it it does not really have a big effect on me and it's also i mean yeah you can't meet with big groups but this is actually mm -hmm. it was also kind of a nice excuse even though it sounds not really weird to just meet single people uh, yes. <laughs> and to not see the big group so yeah and also the same actually so i came back and work more or started more or less immediately in um, working in a home office. Mm -hmm. And that was also kind of nice because mm -hmm. when you come back after an expedition to the office, people are just like asking you everything about the expedition on a, from, the, from the scientific point of view. And there was also this excuse, well, I'm in mm -hmm. home office because this is what we are supposed to do. And um, yeah, so this is why I, I kind of see it again here kind of positive. Um, mm -hmm. 
and I it, it didn't have such a big effect in the end on me. Yeah, there's there's one thing though, Steffi, you had to cancel. That was your vacation, right? You were looking forward so much to this vacation after you would be back from the Arctic, but now it's uh, is it postponed yeah, it's like or what? For everything. I mean, what yeah, I would have been again in this fitness camp. We were just talking about the stands. So this yeah. was a, this was cancelled. Um, and and the, it's the same for like so many things. I mean, I, I would mm -hmm. have been now on a on a cruise ship um, as a lecturer on board. Um, I would have been like in two ah, weeks okay. from now. I would have went to um, to Hobart to Tasmania for a big conference, and this is of yeah. course mm -hmm. all cancelled for, this, for exactly. the SCAR conference. And this is yeah. like all yeah. cancelled. Mm -hmm. And this is what I meant, like with all these uncertainties. Also, I mean, I'm still planning and hoping that there will be an Antarctic expedition beginning mid of January. But also there, I mean, nobody knows whether this will take place or not. I think it's time for music. Bobby Daring with Beyond the Sea. Oh, yes. As the next title. Yes. It's a very pretty yes, song. Yes, it is. And the connection to that one is not to Mosaic, but um, on an expedition in 2015-16. Uh, there I was also during Christmas, and what is usual uh, during Christmas on Polarstern is that you prepare a nice Christmas celebration program, and part of that is also to have a choir and to sing songs. And on that expedition, ah. we had Lucrezia uh, from Avi, and she is like mm -hmm. really professional singing and playing like any instrument you can think about. And so we had a really, really professional Christmas choir already. And then we've been so much into that singing and we really enjoyed it a lot uh, that we just said, okay, let's also continue singing after Christmas. And then we had like really, uh, yeah, we sang a lot. And in the end, we also give a kind of concert <laughs> uh, to the entire uh, team on board. And that was really, really nice. And there, one of the songs was uh, This Beyond the Sea. And I really, really liked it. And I didn't know that before. So I, I learned also a lot of new songs. Okay, we are back with the Ice Pod, the podcast about polar science and the people. Um, we have Steffi Arndt today with us. And we talked quite a bit about the uh, leg three of Mosaic, which uh, Steffi has joined. We want to now move a little bit to what are your future plans, Steffi? I mean, at the moment, you have a postdoc. What are your plans? I mean, you're quite young, I would say, <laughs> in terms of a scientific career. Do you have any plans or just wait what happens? Yeah, well, um, yeah, my, my position currently at Avi is for another two years. Um, and mm -hmm. this is my you own have your own project, project, right? I have my own project with the yeah. DFG, with the German funding agency and the priority of uh, in the priority program of Antarctic research. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, of course, hope To, to continue my work at Arby, but I mean, we all know that this is not that uh, easy in science to just like simply continue. Um, but yeah, I mean, and as I said, I mean, all these long-term plans are for nothing. It's just like, <laughs> stay flexible. Um, so yeah, I mean, like on, on a short uh, time scale, as mentioned, um, I hope that there will be this Antarctic expedition beginning of next year. And then end of next year, uh, I was planning to go again to uh, Neumeyer Station because this is where I coordinate the sea ice program at our uh, German overwintering station uh, since a couple mm -hmm. of years. 
and yeah, those are kind of the the near future um, points. But again, this is all. And in in between, you will probably in between you will probably also write a paper about Arctic sea ice, I guess, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I must admit, so originally it was, of course, I always said, well, yes, I joined Mosaic, it's fine, it's it's nice to be in the field, it's nice to be part of the big project, but I was not planning to also really uh, publish in the end uh, by myself, okay. later. of course, to contribute to a lot of publications, but not pu publish by my own. But this mm -hmm. somehow changed now, because, I mean, I think this this was most likely expected, that when you've been in the field and you really got into the topic and you got your like kind of your baby data, uh, it's like you also want to do something with that. And we had so for yeah. me personally, for example, we had this one one warm spell event that you were mentioning already, mid of um, mm -hmm. April, and there we also increased um, our sampling rates and all that because I was really interested to see how do the snow properties change. Uh, during that warm spell event and this is now of course also one thing I could imagine to also publish and, and write about a paper and on the other hand uh, what I was also doing a lot on board was together with uh, Robert Ricker a colleague of mine uh, in the section we were doing the transect work meaning walking along the same uh, routes on the flow mm -hmm. um, to measure sea ice thickness and snow depth on a weekly basis Mm -hmm. uh, and there I'm, of course, interested into the snow stuff. And what was really obvious and interesting to me on site was so when we walked those transects, we could still see the footsteps from the people from the first uh, from from the from the leg before us. Oh, and at some okay. point, we also saw even polar bear steps. And then it was, of course, kind mm -hmm. of obvious. OK, when we see those polar bear steps and as on, on leg two, there was only one polar bear in the camp, but not in that area. So that means that those polar bear steps are still also from the one. And this, of course, you can also then <laughs> describe a little bit more professional with the data we were measuring. Um, and this is now also a topic I could imagine to work okay. on in addition to my Antarctic project. But now we are coming to something uh, you also promised um, to talk about uh, when we had this bonus episode, actually um in november so um we wanted to talk um with you a little bit about women leadership in science and also you uh coming from east germany so i was wondering does this have any impact um for you doing your work being from east germany or is that i mean you were born in 1988 so so is that any issue or would you say that's not not the case anymore no i i must admit i do not feel that at all so i was i was at never actually in in my uh, scientific career or during my studies or whatever i was not a, i was never confronted with that topic or that it had any influence on on my work or on myself so that was I mean, of course, when you talk to people that it sometimes comes to the point that, ah, oh, yeah, you're from Eastern Germany or from Eastern Berlin. Um, mm -hmm. But as you said, I mean, I think I'm simply too young to have a real strong connection um, to that fact, actually. Okay. And um, so so my next question, actually, <laughs> then is kind of, I, I don't know, I mean, maybe not ridiculous, but <laughs> obsolete. So do you think it, it would be harder for a person coming from East Germany or as a woman to become a leader in, in science? 
as a woman, I would say. So as I said, so I don't see any connection anymore to whether people are from the from the eastern or from the western part of Germ Germany. And to be honest, also as a woman, I mean, of course, we still see that, uh, especially in, at RB and the climate science, for example, that there's all section heads, for example, are male. And um, also in for, for our section, for example, we are about, I think, 30 people and just uh, one of the permanent positions is filled with a woman. Um, and this is like, this is still there an issue. Um, but it's, of course, again, the question whether this is really an issue because uh, it's tougher for women to work in those uh, positions or whether it's already kind of preconditioned by telling women more or like like girls in school that the the natural science uh, subjects are more like male subjects and other subjects are more connected to female um females in the end and this is why what i'm doing for example a lot or did a lot is that I also go into schools and just present like my career path kind of also to show and to motivate also uh, girls to go into those natural science um, uh, subjects and that you can also survive a more physical related uh, study even though you are you are uh, a woman or a girl um, but yeah but I think in general it's kind of equalized by now I mean I don't see those really big differences between both I must admit Now having this experience um, as the team leader uh, on on board Polarstern, and also I saw you are quite part of many different um, groups. Um, in when I look at your CV, um, taking maybe also a leadership role, what what would you think would um, a person in general, but also women, need to get on on this leadership, and maybe eventually even get some i don't know professor position or something um i think you need to be tough because <laughs> what does it mean being I, tough <laughs> yeah so so even though i said before i don't see the big difference like in general speaking in a in a in a big um world or, or in, a, in, a, in a in a broader sense that it does not make a this uh, make a, a difference whether you're male or female I just learned and experienced by myself that it is the case when you are on the ship, actually, because the ship is still really male-based mm -hmm. um, yeah, or male-dominated, I, I would say. So, I mean, there you have the stewardesses which are, who are female. You have sometimes the doctor being female and you have the nurse in most cases being female. Mm -hmm. And that's it. In most cases, all the other positions are filled by, by men. And this is there always. So, and when I was there the first time as a as a group leader of the ice team on board, it was actually a tough time uh, to get yeah, or that, that people really took me seriously uh, on the bridge because. But there was again, it was two factors. It was I think on the one side that I was a female, and on the other side that I was really really young. And I think this is what I currently still experiencing the most that. Um, even though also now I was the PI on board, I'm still pretty young in this entire uh, community, of course. Have you seen the same also for young male scientists or is it just, or, or I mean, can you see it, it was really a generational thing or maybe the two things combined kind of made it, I don't know, somehow harder for you than, than somebody that had your same age in the same position? 
Um, yeah, I mean, males also, I mean, yeah, I, I of course also talk to males in my kind of age range, um, also being a PI on board and they experienced similar things, but maybe not as strong as I did it. Um, and, but uh, yeah, yeah. So maybe fr from that experience, my, my, so my, um, thinking is coming that it's kind of a mixture in the end of both of age and, and, and yeah. the gender. I was wondering, um, what would you recommend to somebody like you do, you go now into schools and talk to girls also to, um, to maybe um, follow your pathway and maybe do something similar and you recommend it, you know, not to step back. Is there something else you would um, recommend or? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, what me, uh, what what helped me personally to 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 go the path I took actually is that um, that really that I had this plan in my head and that that I really I wanted so so my my initial goal when I started studying was I wanted to go on Polarstern. Mm -hmm. So this was my that was my my one and only wish. Well, <laughs> that you achieved. And uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, so what I what I actually did was I was I was writing an email to to the Polarstern coordinator Eberhard Trabach uh, those days. Mm -hmm. um, and texted him, yeah, well, I want to go uh, here. I'm a, I'm a meteorology uh, a student in Berlin and I'm interested in the polar science and I want to go to, uh, to Antarctica on Polarstern. <laughs> and, and, he, and he just sent, sent me a mail back, well, Steffi, that's an awesome idea, but you are a little bit too young. Cool. Just drop me another mail in a year from now. And this is basically what I did. And I think what he expected is like, yeah, yeah, when he's writing something like that, she will never, uh, she will never come back to him. But that's what I did. And I think this is something that he did not expect that then really like a year later. You were there hey, with the clock. Hey. Again. <laughs> and I'm still wanting to go to Antarctica. And I, yes. And, and this is actually what I can really just recommend that if you have this plan to really kind of, I don't want to say fight for your dreams, but this is really kind of that you, when you have your, 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 your imagination of, of what you want to mm -hmm. do, um, And that you really should not just step when somebody is saying, well, no, this is not working like that. I mean, there are always like plan Bs and Cs to come in the end to, to a similar outcome. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, and this is actually what I, what I basically tell, tell the students. Okay, so uh, thank you, Steffi. We are having um, another, I think it's the last song. Um, it's called Blau, Blue. Um, also from this, uh, um, by this uh, German... Band, Tonbandgerät. What is it in English? Tonbandgerät. <laughs> uh, recording device. Yes. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I must admit, Tonbandgerät is like my favorite ah. uh, German band. Okay. And this song, so I'm, yeah, I'm listening a lot to them. And when I was at the German overwintering station in end of 2018, um, I just played this music uh, to, to the colleagues there. And uh, in the song, it's like, um, let's be blue as, as the sky and so on and so forth. And we kind of started to have not a real dance, but kind of special movements for special parts of the song. And this is what we always did when we walked somewhere, because we could just also fall into the snow and all mm -hmm. that. And this is when we then walked around, <laughs> around the station. And we sometimes played that song and did that. And sometimes we just sang it and, and did it. So I, this, this is why I also connect that song in the end to the polar regions.
we are back after the very very nice song Blau. I re I have to say I also didn't know the the uh the band and when I was uh putting the the playlist together I really enjoyed both Blau and Ocean. So thank you very much Steffi. I hope that also our listeners will enjoy some some hopefully new music or maybe p- songs that you were you didn't listen uh for a long time. Uh we reached that point <laughs> in the in the podcast where we we ask the the very hot questions <laughs> um, okay. and actually the next question is a question that our last guest uh robert hausen from the oh. german weather in- uh, service oh nice yes we we interviewed him and he had a very nice question for you oh, ha. Uh, he wanted yeah. to know if mosaic changed your life and if so how and why Oh, I mean, this is kind of similar. It's a to very the deep philosophical yeah, question. Yeah, I mean, this is similar so, to the question you raised uh, in the beginning, whether it's still the same Steffi sitting Exactly. Um, yes, it's a perfect circle. <laughs> I see that, I see that. Well, um, it did not really change my life entirely that I think now, I don't know, snow is not white, but yellow, but it's, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> so it's like really, it's. I, I think it did not really change my life in that perspective, but what of course every expedition is doing, and therefore now mosaic was special because it was so long. Um, that you always learn a lot about yourself, and this is really what I like about experiences that you bring yourself, or that the um, expedition brings yourself in your into a situation where you thought beforehand well I can't cope with them because that's simply too much um, and in the end you see it is possible and it, it it didn't hurt at all and it's just a nice other experiences that it's kind of forming kind of the way you are thinking about things but you never know I mean it's it maybe it hasn't changed your life by now but uh, you never know what comes up you might have a very big great nature paper out at some point you know and that always uh, I don't know gives you the opportunity to I don't know move into another science position on things like that you know seeing it from the professional perspective it's of course that I due to mosaic I got a lot of attention also in the in the CIS community around or not not only mm-hmm. in the CIS community but in the entire mosaic community um, and across yeah. that and this is of course something that is that is now there and this is what I kind of feel that also people connect myself to mosaic even though I was not too much involved in all the preparations um, And this is, of course, something that uh, this, uh, that, that evolved now and that might be an advantage in the end that people connect me with that. Also, especially because I was the team lead, there's, of course, then more um, attention um, on those people. And this can have, of course, in the end, if, uh, an effect on my professional career. But this is currently tough to estimate. So what I only feel now is mm-hmm. that I do get a lot of requests from media for interviews, for whatever kind of things. But what we can do is really hoping and wishing you and other uh, talented young scientists that this opportunity really opens some some opportunities and doors for, for a next generation of scientists that can bring this work forward and can really make use also of the of this data for, for years and years to come. So it's it's the hope of also us watching that this brings attention not only to the sci- this scientific fields, which is 
very, very amazing and full of uh, surprises and, and resources, but also for the people that are working behind it. And so, well, I mean, we would have also the other very hard questions, but we kind of know the, the answer already because since, since you brought it up, since you brought the jacket question up when, when we were oh. discussing Thomas's choice, we started asking it to every single guest oh, <laughs> just to place them in the ecosystem of Mosaic. So, but you're free to say proudly which group, which team you're part of. I'm proud to be part of the Team Ice. <laughs> so having yes. the red logo. <laughs> having the red logo. Yes. <laughs> And how many people did you convince Steffi to, to get the jacket from Team Eyes on board? <laughs> like three. <laughs> did you start a campaign? Uh, no, I mean, we, we, uh, we collected mm -hmm. the orders beforehand so that the people on board could have them beforehand. And it was really nice that I think it was, it were two people actually. I think it was one from the media and one from the Hilly team who decided to have the ice team jackets because they like the rice. No offense to the other teams, <laughs> of course. <laughs> the other teams that are listening, you're also very cool. <laughs> And then one last question, which is actually to ask you to make a question <laughs> for our next guest. So if you were here with us next time interviewing our next guest, what would you like to know about this person? I think the question I would raise um, would be actually the one that you raised to me, I think, uh, when I left, is what the person uh, thought is the, uh, beforehand, so before the person left for Mosaic, what was the biggest challenge, uh, what, what would be the biggest challenge uh, on board, and what was in the end actually the, the biggest challenge mm -hmm. and why. Nice. Okay, so I think uh, for us to um, do some last part, we would like to thank Steffi very much. Yes, thank you very much. Wish her all the best now with the mosaic data. First, relax a bit, and then uh, get to know. Okay, Steffi is Bye. now. She has all her energy back. So this is really good. <laughs> this is with the young people, you know, below 40. They can do that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, we are actually looking forward to um, see the outcome of, of um, your work on, on the flow. And uh, we would also like to thank you, uh, listeners of the iSpot podcast, for listening in again. Um, hope you had fun. If you want to know even more about Steffi, go back to the bonus episode of the iSpot we published December, it was our Christmas episode. Yes, yes it was a yeah. Christmas episode, right. Um, we also have the playlist uh, from Steffi's song on Spotify. So you can uh, go and download that one and um, listen to the songs uh, in between while we break on Spotify, just uh, briefly. You can find us on Twitter at Polar Prediction and on Instagram at Polar Prediction. We also have a website for the iSpot. The icepodcast.home.blog. .home.blog, yes. Yes. So if you feel there is something you want to tell us or you want to comment on or you have even more questions to Steffi, maybe you can always send us an email um, to what address? Polar Prediction 
at gmail.com. Yes. Okay. Good. It's pretty easy. Everything has to do with polar prediction. Yes. So just give it a try. You'll probably get it right. <laughs> so again, thanks very much. Thank you, Steffi, again. Thank you for the nice questions. It was nice to talk about it again. Yeah. Yay. We, we really liked and we learned <laughs> quite some nice insights again. <laughs> From Polarstern and um, yeah, we always could continue talking to you, you know that. Yeah, but thank you so much and uh, hope to see you at some point back in Bremerhaven. In person, yeah. yes. That would be nice. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. The iSpot is produced by the Year of Polar Prediction International Coordination Office. With the technical support of Radio Weser TV as well as the support by the communication team of Mosaic and the Alfred Wegner Institute. Editorial responsibility is with Kirstin Werner and Sara Pascoletto. Our theme music is composed by Kevin McLeod, available on incompetech.com. For any questions, please contact us at polarprediction at gmail.com. But this is this is like the Koreans. They're working a lot with red beans, actually. They have a filling, a red bean filling, which is quite tasty. I don't like beans at all. No. Yeah, yeah. no. It's a hard no. <laughs> <laughs> I, no.